This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, July 2nd. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Well, many religious Americans have grown pessimistic about the state of American culture, but Tim Gagline from Focus on the Family takes an optimistic view about the future. He argues in a new book called American Restoration that Americans can rebuild their culture from the ground up, starting in their own neighborhoods. We'll hear from Tim today as he joins us in the studio. By the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a review or a five-star rating in iTunes to help us grow. Now, on to our top news. Iran is inching closer to being able to develop a nuclear weapon. According to reports, the country now has more uranium than was allowed under the Iran Agreement, which President Trump withdrew the U.S. from. The International Atomic Energy Agency, which is part of the United Nations, confirmed to various media outlets that Iran did indeed have an increase in its uranium stockpile. The Wall Street Journal reported that Javad Zarif, the foreign minister of Iran, indicated that Iran would continue to take steps putting the country past the limits imposed by the former agreement. Well, after weeks of peaceful protest in Hong Kong, things turned violent on Monday, which was the 22nd anniversary of Hong Kong's handover from Great Britain back to China. Protesters stormed Hong Kong's parliament building, breaking glass doors and defacing the interior with graffiti. Police eventually fired tear gas and retook the building later that night. The Wall Street Journal quotes Joe, a recent college graduate, saying, quote, I want freedom. I don't know if this will help or hurt the cause. I just followed the others, end quote. Monday's riot followed hours of peaceful protests that involved hundreds of thousands of demonstrators. Hong Kong citizens have marched in unprecedented numbers in recent weeks, protesting an extradition bill in the legislature, which would allow Hong Kong to extradite anyone under arrest to mainland China to face trial. Hong Kong residents see that as a severe restriction of the liberty they've enjoyed, dating back to British colonial rule. Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, has indefinitely postponed consideration of the bill, which is being pushed by Beijing, but protesters want it withdrawn completely and have demanded her resignation. President Trump went on a Twitter rant against New York State Monday, saying, It is very hard and expensive to live in New York. Governor Andrew Cuomo uses his attorney general as a bludgeoning tool for his own purposes. They sue on everything, always in search of a crime. I even got sued on a foundation which took zero rent and expenses and gave away more money than it had. Going on for years, originally brought by Crooked Hillary's campaign chair, Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, until forced to resign for abuse against women. They never even looked at the disgusting Clinton Foundation. Now Cuomo's attorney general is harassing all of my New York businesses in search of anything at all they can find to make me look as bad as possible. So on top of ridiculously high taxes, my children and companies are spending a fortune on lawyers. No wonder people and businesses are fleeing New York in record numbers, end quote. New York Attorney General Letitia James, a Democrat, responded, As the elected attorney general of New York, I have a sworn duty to protect and uphold state law. My office will follow the facts of any case wherever they lead. Make no mistake, no one is above the law, not even the president. I just got beat up by the crowd, no police at all, Um, in the middle of the street, and they stole my GoPro, and he punched me several times in my face, in my head, I'm bleeding. 
That's Andy No, a journalist for Quillette, who was brutally attacked by Antifa protesters in Portland, Oregon, while covering the protest. A video posted online shows him being kicked, punched, and having milkshakes thrown at him. According to the Daily Wire, police say those milkshakes contained quick-dry cement. No was taken to the hospital for a brain bleed and later released. He said police initially did nothing when he was attacked. Senator Ted Cruz is now demanding a federal inquiry into the city's mayor, Ted Wheeler, who is also Portland's police commissioner. He tweeted, quote, To federal law enforcement, investigate and bring legal action against a mayor who has, for political reasons, ordered his police officers to let citizens be attacked by domestic terrorists, end quote. Well, right-leaning lawyer Harmeet Dillon tweeted out, Good night, everyone, except Antifa criminals who I plan to sue into oblivion and then sow salt into their yoga studios and avocado toast stands until nothing grows there, not even the glimmer of a violent criminal conspiracy aided by the effete impotence of a cowed city government. She later said, quote, He'll have more to say in coming days about what happened to him and others yesterday in Portland. He is very thankful for the overwhelming support from decent people, especially Michelle Malkin and donors, end quote. Conservative commentator Michelle Malkin set up a GoFundMe account, which has, of this recording, raised $147,000 for no. Pride Month has apparently gone too mainstream for some LGBT activists. While New York City held a major Pride Parade this weekend, some people flocked to an alternative, a parade called the Queer Liberation March, which didn't feature any corporation's floats or funding. A website for the march, run by the Reclaim Pride Coalition, said... We march against the exploitation of our communities for profit and against corporate and state pinkwashing, as displayed in Pride celebrations worldwide, including the NYC Pride Parade. And we are trans, bisexual, lesbian, gay, queer, intersex, asexual, two-spirit, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and allies. Among a slideshow of signs featured in Vogue, one read, we're here, we're queer, and we're not going shopping. Well, up next, our conversation with Tim Gagline. Do you own an Amazon Echo? You can now get the Daily Signal podcast every day as part of your daily Alexa flash briefing. It's easy to do. Just open your Amazon Alexa app, go to settings, and select flash briefing. From there, you can search for the Daily Signal podcast and add it to your flash briefing so you can stay up to date with the top news of the day that the liberal media isn't covering. Well, we are joined in the studio now by Timothy Gaglin. He is the Vice President for External and Government Relations at Focus on the Family here in Washington, D.C., and he's also co-author of the new book, American Restoration, How Faith, Family, and Personal Sacrifice Can Heal Our Nation. Tim, thanks for your time. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So, Tim, in this new book, um, you talk a lot about the need to return to America's spiritual foundations. And there's so much to unpack there. But I want to ask you, first off, um, what do you mean when you say re- uh, returning to America's spiritual foundations? Well, it's impossible to understand the United States of America without understanding the spiritual foundation uh, even before our founding, you know, America was, uh, uh, you know, was was a, Americans were a great presence in North America, you know, 150 years before we were formally a country. And literally from the beginning, we were uh, a nation which was a uh, eventually a, reli- a re- religious republic. 
uh, you know, a country that uh, uh, faith and public life could not be divorced. It, they, they went together. Uh, and, uh, and from the very beginning, this idea of self-government was rooted uh, in a spiritual dimension that you cannot impose, uh, you know, virtue, uh, the other side of freedom, you know, upon the people, that you need to have moral excellence in the people and in the leaders. And our founding fathers and mothers rightfully asked, well, in the American experience, where does that come from? And in the American experience, it comes from the Judeo-Christian tradition. And in American Restoration, we do not open up our book pining uh, for the 18th century or the 19th century or the 20th century. What we say is that the way forward is not despair and discouragement, but it is being hopeful about the next chapter of America. I, I'm an irredeemable optimist. Uh, and American restoration is built on the foundation. And what we say in this book is that if we really want to restore our country, and we're very serious about restoration, regeneration, renewal, it's not going to be rooted in Washington, D.C. and in government. It's going to be rooted in faith, the family, and personal sacrifice in our communities, in our neighborhoods. That's where the uh, solutions, as it were, for American restoration are really based. So you just mentioned that you're hopeful. And I, I would say that I am a pessimist. So I'm going to push back a little bit here. Why is there a realistic chance for hope when right now, you know, a lot of Americans came, had grandparents from this foundation of faith and virtues and have chosen to reject it? What about the modern world gives you any realistic hope that people are suddenly going to change their lives and take up sacrifice and virtue? Well, first, I'm a hopefulist to the core. <laughs> uh, and I, you and people. It, and may I tell you, it's not rooted uh, in a confetti-to-the-wind optimism. I mean, I am an optimist, but that, that's not my basis for hope. First and foremost, uh, I, I'm a Christian, and, and I love living in a country, in a culture, and a civilization where the foundation of that hope is the Judeo-Christian tradition, which is uh, definably uh, the best foundation that a country can be built on. And I'll tell you, I never negate, and we should never negate as Americans, that we've been in incredibly tough positions before. This is a country that lived through a civil war. We lived through two world wars. We lived through the social and the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s. And during all of those periods of time, it was very tempting, right, for Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives to sort of say, that's the end of America. You know, uh, there was a time not not very long ago in the 60s and 70s where quite literally parts of America were burning down, where there were uh, shootings in the streets, where there were shootings on campuses where we had the resignation of a U.S. president for the first time ever. Uh, you know, we lost nearly 60,000 Americans in Vietnam. We lost 750,000 Americans in the Civil War. And I'll tell you, during those chapters of American history, people said, count me out, the country's done. Uh, it, it, it isn't, because for America, uh, there's always tomorrow, and there's always the hope for restoration. And what we do in this book is that we set out a blueprint for how to restore the country, to restore the Constitution, to restore the family, uh, to, to restore civic renewal and civic responsibility. Uh, it's, it's really a wonderful read and because 
it's a read that says uh, better days are ahead. Not easy days. This is a large, complex, continental nation of 329 million souls. So when you're talking about restoration, it is necessarily not going to be easy. But that doesn't mean that there's not a way forward. So your book mentions multiple things, 15 actually, 15 chapters, 15 things, uh, areas where America can be restored. Walk us through just a couple of those that you think are the most important and how specifically how that would happen. I believe that the most important way to restore America begins in the home. It begins with family. Uh, We in America have uh, a large percentage of families which are broken, marriages, families, parenting, absolutely broken. And it is totally and completely central to our whole idea of restoration. Uh, Government cannot cause the family to fall in love again. Government cannot tuck a child into bed at night. But government can get out of the way. And government can also find ways to incentivize ways to make it easier for parents and families to thrive. And so we, with, uh, with clarity uh, and with, if I may say, pinpoint accuracy, uh, define uh, focusing on the family as something that is absolutely central to the restoration of our country. We also concurrently say that it's very important to restore the idea of the centrality of the Constitution. You know, this is a country of law and not men. And the Constitution has a fixed meaning and a fixed purpose. And we have lived for too long uh, in in an ever-growing, gargantuan federal government which believes that it can better than families, communities, churches, synagogues, neighborhoods, localities, believes that it can better and more uniformly uh, address uh, you know, the problems that, that, that ail us. And in American restoration, we say just the opposite, that it begins at the local level. It begins with what uh, the great statesman Edmund Burke called the little platoons. And what he meant by the little platoons are family, church, synagogue, neighborhood, community, uh, you know, all those associations and groups, uh, which Tocqueville celebrated when he uh, looked at America uh, you know, in the 1830s and says, that's what makes America exceptional. It's what, it's what makes us different. Uh, one of the things I want to ask about that, you talk about the importance of little platoons, but it seems to me that so often when we think about cultural erosion and corruption, a lot of it does come from the elites in our culture who are controlling, you know, think of the tech companies who are, you know, who control with algorithms what we see on social media. Or think about when you open up Netflix, the first thing you see is something overtly sexual that you didn't want your kids to see. Um, those, are the kind, uh, those are the kind of structural problems that, that are driving social change in the wrong direction. And those are set by elites rather than people in local communities. So do you think that a big part of the problem, at least, is the culture of the elites and, and, and what they're pushing through Hollywood, through Netflix, through other other um, media that are affecting our communities? I could not agree more. And not only can I not agree, this is part of the central narrative of American restoration, uh, that, that we believe 
that irresponsible elites across uh, a series of professions have been a central part of the problem. I mentioned one of them a moment ago, uh, the, the, the problem of you know, a, a central government that is literally out of control, that believes it can micromanage better than people in the home or in the church or in the neighborhood or in the community, that it can control and make these decisions for us better than we can make them ourselves. So the answer is absolutely yes. A very good friend of mine is David Azerod. And by the way, several people at the Heritage Foundation uh, play an important role in American restoration. We've gone into some of the best research that the uh, that the Matchless Heritage Foundation has done, and we have used uh, you know that in our book. And one of the things that David Azerod you know has has written about uh, is uh, front row America and back row America. Uh, front row America being elites who are out of touch, who are like the boy and the girl in the bubble. You know, they don't have to mix with other people. But in, but in fact, back row America is hurting very badly. And there have been many important studies and books that have that, that have concentrated very heavily, uh, like Hillbilly Elegy and several other books, uh, Alienated America, by Americans by my friend uh, Tim Carney. They've done an excellent job of distilling what the problem is. Uh, what American restoration does is it's a bookend to those kind of excellent analyses. It says, yes, we've got real problems in our nation. Here are the reasons why. And here are some of the ways that we can address head on these real challenges and problems and can make them better. Uh, you know, we, uh, we, we quote in this book a little-known uh, scholar who deserves to be much better known, uh, Gertrude Himmelfarb, in which uh, she talks about how Victorian England – and by the way, Victorian England was in absolute meltdown mode uh, – how Victorian England reapplying, right, uh, the, this, the, this, the great spiritual truths of Anglo-American civilization was able to help restore – uh, a, a really great country. So, uh, and there are lots of other examples. So restoration and renewal and regeneration are possible. It can happen. And I'm confident. Yeah. And of course, if you're interested in the back row, front row America, we interviewed uh, Chris Arnotti, the former Wall Street trader turned a photojournalist, I guess you would say. And he, I think, might have coined that term. So we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. And I'd encourage you to check that out if you're into this topic. Um, so one poll that came out recently that really surprised me from the Wall Street Journal and the NBC News found that back in 2000, which is only not that long ago, two decades ago, um, 41 percent of Americans said they went to religious services weekly. That number is now down to 29 percent. You and your book discuss a lot how important regular church attendance is. What do you think drove the decline in the past two decades and how do we reverse this? Well, I believe that the biggest driver of the decline, as you describe it, has been uh, the uh, fractioning of the American family. And I want to give a very concrete example. And one of the things, by the way, that powers American restoration is not a bunch of opinions and anecdotes. It's actually uh, empirical data. It's very important in data sets that we know with, with you know, what we are actually dealing. And I want to give just one example. And actually, to, 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 the, to your question and the last question that was asked, uh, in 1965, right, a mere 56 years ago, 54 years ago, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan wrote a very important study on the African-American family in the United States of America. 
Now, this is only 1965. He found that 25% of all African-Americans were born out of wedlock. Okay. Now we're in 2019. That number is at 70% or above. Okay. Also, that's 53% of all Hispanic Americans and more than 30% of native, uh, native born white people. Okay. In composite, about 40% of all Americans are now born out of wedlock. And for the majority of babies born to women who are ages 30 years of age and under, the majority of babies are now born out of wedlock. So if you have this kind of demography and you are facing this kind of challenge, it is not the federal government. Frankly, it's not any government that is going to be able to address that kind of decline. And the, and the question emerges in social science. Well, wait a minute. What drove that? And, and the answer goes back to where we started. It ultimately starts from a spiritual decline that is measurable in some pockets of America. You know, the, 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 the great uh, conservative statesman and philosopher Russell Kirk uh, said that, 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 that political and public policy differences are actually spiritual differences first. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Well, that is a great segue into my next question, which is uh, just looking looking through your book. Um, I share so much of the analysis of the culture that you give. It's it's a pretty bleak picture right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm speaking uh, – we're recording this in June, which is Pride Month. And as, as a Christian, I have certain feelings about that. Um, th- you know, you paint a picture of a culture that is losing – it's sort of a drift in moral relativism. And your book is about recovering that. The solution you're calling for, though, doesn't it really just come down to people converting to Christianity and being faithful? That's correct. Uh, I, I'm glad you raised that. And, uh, and in light of the last question, I believe very strongly that you can be a great American and be a man or woman of faith. And I believe very strongly that you can be a great American and not be a person of faith or be a great American and a person who's searching and looking, Right. I don't think that that is the, the, the demarcation. I, I really don't. And I also believe, and we say this in American Restoration, that for all of the many cultural challenges we have, and they are many, we also have a lot of bright spots. And, and may I say, you know, just when you think that you're at a moment of cultural decline, that even in that decline, you can see spots of recovery and of renewal. It's kind of like when you have one of these terrible California wildfires and you look out and you say, that is a very bleak landscape until you come back about two weeks later. And from all the charred cinders coming through the charred cinders are, are, you know, small green shoots. Right. And I do believe that organically cultures are the same. Uh, I believe that, that, that you can focus like a laser beam on all of the problems, and we certainly seek to do that in American Restoration, but we also seek to hold up real examples of real people, real institutions, real groups who are really addressing uh, some of the, our most uh, important social, moral, and religious issues. So we don't say or assert in the book that in order to restore America, that we must have a mass conversion to Christianity. As Christians, you know, we certainly pray uh, that people would come to know Jesus Christ. But that is not our, our demarcation 
uh, for a for a healthy or flourishing uh, country. We know that from our founding. Uh, some of the greatest people in our founding were serious Christians, Benjamin Rush and George Washington. Others were not serious Christians, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, right? Uh, it doesn't make them any less great as human beings, but it also does not deter from the fact that foundationally and from the beginning, America was a nation that flourished because of strong uh, Christianity and strong Judaism. And, you know, that is a fact. So you talk in the book about the importance of religious liberty. And obviously, if you're going to practice your faith, you need to be allowed to by the state. Um, However, we're seeing more and more clashes on this front. And you um, describe some of them in the book. Uh, Specifically, I would say pro-abortion advocates and LGBT activists are often pushing for things that Christians feel in good conscience they cannot accommodate. And there's often a push from the extreme left to say, no, we're not going to find a third way. It can't be that there's another baker who bakes the cake. It has to be this baker. How do you recommend people engage with the far left and with maybe family and friends who are sympathetic to the far left? May I say, I I am really thrilled by that question because I believe, uh, attendant to, to where we began this interview, that the frontal assault on religious liberty and the rights of conscience in the public square is overwhelmingly one of the greatest challenges that we face. And the question is, why? Because it's unconstitutional. There is absolutely nothing in the Constitution uh, that, that in any way usurps the centrality of religious liberty and conscience rights that were uh, inherent in the Constitution from the beginning. We have seen endless cases at the Supreme Court Endless cases in the uh, in the circuit and in the uh, the, the district uh, courts, uh, which have been a net result of this assault on religious liberty and conscience cases. I feel very strongly. In fact, we say this in American Restoration, and we have a whole chapter on the restoration of religious liberty in the book for this reason. That incrementally, and it does take time, that we will eventually move our way back toward the constitutional position and defense of religious liberty and conscience rights. It's not to say that we are not having and will not continue to have a major debate uh, in this area. But I believe that incrementally uh, we are going in the right direction, even as we have enormous challenges. We also have a chapter in American Restoration on the restoration of, uh, of, of the right to life. And human life. That is incredibly important to us. Uh, Look, we have had more than 60 million abortions in America since 1973. Uh, That is uh, a a real black mark on our country. But I believe strongly as a uh, as a as a person who's been involved in the pro-life movement since I was 12 years old. Right. I believe very strongly that this is a very good time for the pro-life movement. I think we are winning. I think we're moving in the right direction. I am overwhelmed, uh, having been in every Right to Life march in January, with the exception of two for the last 30 years, that the Right to Life people who come to Washington get younger and they get larger. And those numbers are overwhelming. Uh, It's simply bad manners in a lot of quadrants in America now, where it wasn't even 15 years ago, uh, it's it's bad manners not to be pro-life. Uh, with three and 4D images of babies, we know that it, that, that it is a baby. 
And I will say I appreciated in your book how you talked about the importance of caring for foster kids. And also um, your co-author mentioned that at his church, there is, I believe, a night for um, parents of Down syndrome kids. And like, I, I just thought it was nice how you guys paid so much attention to being pro-life after birth as well. I think that's very true of the pro-life community, but we're always slammed as not. And it was nice to see you address that. I was in a debate just last week in which my interlocutor said, yeah, you're pro-life, which means that you only care about the baby until the day it's born. And I said, that is absolutely false. And he said, prove it. And I said, read American Restoration. Uh, You know, we have a whole (laughs) chapter in this book, to your point. We care about mother and baby uh, before the baby is born. We care about the baby in all three trimesters, right? And we care about mother and baby long after the baby is born and the mother is dealing as his baby with a lot of issues. But also to capitalize on that, we care a lot about orphan care, foster care, and adoption. And we wanted to make sure that, a restor- that American Restoration had a, a, a sizable uh, uh, you know, bit, bit of attention to this issue. Um, one of the tragedies in America is not only abortion, but also uh, the vitiation of uh, of uh, of young down syndrome babies that has got to change and we've got to do that better and i and i trust and believe that by raising it in books like this talking about it on a podcast like this that we will move more and more toward a a pro life america and i believe that we will see a day when roe versus wade is overturned i do believe that and i think that it will be on par uh, of the day that dred scott Uh, finally uh, came to its last gasp. Your book also responds to folks like Rod Dreher who have um, offered what they call the Benedict Option and uh, in which Christians are, you know, engaging in a strategic withdrawal from certain sectors of culture in order to protect the good that we have. Um, What's your main response to that argument? Rod Dreher is a great friend and I've known him and benefited from his writing, his research and his friendship for many years. Uh, I have read uh, his book now three times cover to cover, and I have compared the text of the book with debates that have happened and with analyses since. And and I, I want to be very direct in this point. To the degree that there is a difference or a distinction, it is at least in some of those debates and analyses that he uh, has been call, calling for disengagement, all right? And, and there's, there, there's a nuance about this, and we make this very clear in the book. This is not in any way a, you know, a backdoor attack or critique of Rod, but we disagree in this regard. This is not a time uh, for Christians or conservatives to disengage, to be discouraged, uh, to, to, to drop out. This is a time more than ever, we say, in American restoration to engage more than ever, for us to be present more than ever in the public square, to be involved in schools, public schools and private schools, to be involved in government, to be in the media, to be in the culture-shaping professions, uh, to be in the law and legal societies, to be in the permanent bureaucracy, to be a presence in the state capitals uh, and in Washington, D.C., There's never been a time where we have needed men and women of faith to step up and to be more involved than now. The book is called American Restoration, How Faith, Family, and Personal Sacrifice Can Heal Our Nation, available on Amazon. Tim Gagelin, thanks so much for your time. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much, and God bless The Daily Signal. 
And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.